Grace and peace to you from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ on this great Epiphany Day. John Piper in his book, Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ, from which the bulk of this sermon, by the way, comes from, notes that God is the wealthiest person in all of the universe. God not only owns everything, but he owns all of us as well, and he owns everything that we own. When you create something, it belongs to you. Now, of course, you can give that creation away, but it's still kind of yours because you made it. You brought it out of nothing. God created everything, including us. Psalm 100, verse 3. It is he who made us. We are not ourselves. We are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. And since God owns everything, that makes us trustees and managers and stewards of God's great creation. We really don't own anything. We simply manage things as it moves through our stewardship. Someday some other family is going to live in my house. Somebody else is going to drive my car, unless, of course, my daughter wrecks it, because it wouldn't be me, of course. My library at some point will be picked over. Some of it will be donated to charity. Others' books will be found in the landfill. I will lose all of my knives. My guns will be melted down. Even my bones will molder in the ground in a prod of land that I really don't own awaiting the resurrection of the good and the evil. And since nothing actually belongs to us, if you look at it, sin can be seen as mismanagement of funds. We're either mismanaging the funds that God has given us, we are mismanaging our property, or maybe even mismanaging our labor. Those things that God has given unto us for us to manage and to be fiduciaries over, if you abuse that, this is what God calls sin. Now, the New Testament generally describes God's wealth not in terms of creation, but in terms of of the glory of God, the God, the glory that God had before creation, the glory that God had in eternity. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 8. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the richness of his grace. This is the glory of God, the richness of his grace. You see, if God were only rich because of creation then God would have been poor before creation, and in creation he enriches himself. This means that God would be dependent upon creation for his wealth. This is the theology of scientists, evolutionists, and ecologists. Right? We're wealthy because we own things, because we have things, or at least just pieces of it. That is not the picture that we find of God in the Bible. God did not create the universe in order to get wealth. God creates the universe in order to display his wealth. The wealth he had in the glory before creation. 
This is the way Paul says it. In him we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the richness of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mysteries of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and under earth. In him we have obtained inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works out all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him also, when you heard the promise of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, which is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of the glory of God, the wealth of God, which he has before creation. The ultimate, the ultimate display of this glory of God is God's mercy extended unto you. Now, the world takes this mercy of God very lightly. And the reason they take it very lightly is because they are sinners by nature and they are thieves and embezzlers. Thieves and embezzlers despise mercy. They despise mercy, they do not need mercy, they do not want mercy, they do not look for mercy, because as thieves and mismanagers of funds and labors and the things of God, they do not believe that they're ever going to get caught. And if you never believe you're going to get caught, then you don't look for mercy, or worse, they don't think they did anything wrong. This is precisely the church's argument, what the church is, has the problem with homosexuality and the LGBTQ entire alphabet of that. The problem is not the sin. The problem is not the sin of homosexuality. People can be, Christians can be same-sex attracted. The problem is most of these people who are affected by that refuse the judgment of Scripture as it being something wrong. And so they break the sixth commandment without the knowledge of it being wrong. And so they make God to be a liar. We all break the sixth commandment. The thing is, we all know that it's sin. We all confess it is sin. And we all receive the mercy of God. God created the world so that he might redeem the world. And that redemption comes through the great mercy of God. It comes through the wealth of God. It comes through the forgiveness of our sins. If you deny your sin, you make God out to be a liar. And then you deny yourself the grace of the mercy of God. You deny yourself the riches that God has and has given unto you. God created the world that he might redeem the world. Romans chapter 9 says Paul. To make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand. Simply put, God is creates and saves his people so that in the coming age that he might show his immeasurable riches of the grace and kindness towards us. We're created for forgiveness. To be displays of the great wealth of God. 
The universe exists to display this wealth of the glory of God for the enjoyment of his redeemed people from every tribe, race, and nation. Justice, though, is, is essential. Justice is essential for this glory. Mercy is paramount, but justice is also important. Proverbs 17, 15 reads, He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike and abominations unto the Lord. You see, justice is essential. However, Proverbs 19, 11 says, it is the glory to overlook an offense. Do you catch this there? To justify the wicked denies God's forgiveness. To justify the wicked calls God to be a liar. And you say, well, they've not done anything wrong. Therefore, you have no judgment upon them. Self-justification denies also the mercy of God. The glory of God is the forgiveness of God. It is the wealth of God. This is why we must always, this is why we must always be confronted by the law. You must be confronted by the law. To overlook the law of God is evil in God's sight. But to forgive, to forgive as Christ has forgiven us, that is righteousness. Jesus is the mercy of God incarnate. Jesus is the mercy of God made visible. John 3, 17 God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. In Mary's Magnificat, his, he says that he has helped, she says, he has helped a servant Israel in the remembrance of his mercy, this mercy that Jesus embodies through his ministry. And that mercy comes to humanity through no cost to humanity. Ephesians 1, verse 7, In him who is the righteousness through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the richness of his grace. The richness of God's grace. Applied unto humanity for the forgiveness of our sins. We didn't earn that forgiveness. It has been given to us out of the riches of God. Timothy, or Titus chapter 3, verse 5 he saved us not because of the workings of the law by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Even the faith to receive mercy is a gift of mercy itself. Philippians chapter 1, to you it has been freely given for Christ's sake to believe. Since Christ is the full-born display of the wealth of God, made man in the mercies of God, it's not surprising that his life his life literally exuded and exhibited grace and mercy, the richness of God, at almost every turn. Remember the blind beggar that cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus says, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And then we had these 10 lepers who raised their voice from outside the village. They cried out, Lord, Master, have mercy upon us. And Jesus stopped. He looked at them and he yelled, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they turned to show themselves, to go to Jerusalem, to show themselves to the priests, they were made clean. This is the richness of God. When Jesus saw a widow who had already lost her son in Luke chapter 7, and now she had already lost her husband, and now she's lost her son, her only son. Jesus has compassion on her, says, do not weep. He raises her son from the dead, and in doing so, Jesus does not say a single word about her faith. 
there's no thing about her faith being there. He simply saw the issue, saw the problem, and then had mercy upon it and did only what God was able to do. Mercy also drew Jesus Jesus to those who were possessed by demons. There's a man who brought his demon-possessed son to Jesus. The boy was unable to speak. The evil spirit often threw him into water and threw him into fire. The father pleaded with Jesus. He says, have compassion upon us and help us. And even though the grieving father could only manage just the tiniest little mustard seed of faith, this is the one who says, I believe, help my unbelief. This tiniest little bit. Jesus responds to that cry for pity, rebukes the spirit and casts him out. Then you look at the, de- the demoniac of Gennesaret who confronted Jesus. He, he had nobody to plead his case. I mean, it, for, the one, for the one, there was at least the father who brought the son. It's like, could you look what's going on with my son. With, with the demoniac of Gennesaret, there was nobody there to plead his case for him. And Jesus still healed him. No mention of faith. No mention of works. Nothing. Out of the richness, the glory of God, healed him. Sent him on his way. You remember that guy wanted to join his disciples. He's like, I don't want to go. I want to stay with you. I'm going to follow you for the rest of my life. Jesus' response, go home. Tell everybody what I've done for you. How he has had mercy on you. And that mercy, that forgiveness is the wealth of God. Remember the Canaanite woman who cried out? Have mercy upon me, O son of David. My daughter severely oppressed by a demon. Jesus also heals her. And she's not even a Jew. She's a Canaanite. The ancient evil foe of the Israelites. It seems that neither demons nor Gentiles can stop the mercy of God. Neither demons nor Gentiles can stop the wealth of God overflowing into God's creation. Isaiah chapter 60, our our, our Old Testament for this morning, this evening. Arise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. That glory of the Lord that that overshadows the entire earth, this forgiveness of God that he has given unto each and every one of us absolutely freely. Your sinless high priest has forgiven you your sins. He has enriched you in every single way. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in all of our times of need out of the riches of God. The place where mercies is kept is the throne of God. Here is infinite power. It is infinite wealth, infinite wisdom. All laid out for us to receive. It all stands ready in the service of the ministry to God because of Jesus, the mercy of God made incarnate and given unto us as a present the riches of God. In Jesus' name, amen.